So, Birdo, Shia LaBeouf, what do you know about his antics? Shia LaBeouf. Um, you know what? I, I well, First of all, the first time I remember Shia LaBeouf, wasn't he in a movie called Suburbia or something? I don't know. Uh, it was like a kind of a horror movie. I, I, and then the next thing I knew was like Transformers, and then the next thing I knew was Indiana Jones, um, which I won't speak of. Uh, but then I got to, for a little while, I started really respecting him because I would see him do all these little artsy projects. And so that's what I would see through the grapevine. You know, he'd do like all these creative things, which reminded me a lot of Joaquin Phoenix or, um, you know, stuff like that where it's, um, it's totally out there, but it's very brave, if you will. He also appeared in a, in a video, uh, Sia video, which I liked. And it was also another very brave performance in that. Um, and yeah, so I, he, I st- he, he, he was on track to become the next Tom Hanks or something. Or even more expert, because, you know, Tom doesn't, yeah, exactly. But I thought, okay, this is good, because he, he but, got but, his, his he, brand blockbuster stuff out of the way, and now he's going in an artsy direction. Right. I like this. Yeah, yeah. And then I started hearing slash seeing uh, arrests and, uh, you know, alleged uh, battering and abuse and fights and... And then I was like, oh, what's going on? Because mm-hmm. then I, I, I went from thinking, because with some of the artsy stuff, I was already thinking, okay, he he seems a little maybe touched, like as in maybe he's working through some stuff, but oh, good, he's using art to do it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, oh, wait, no, okay, something else is going on. And I didn't really know how how much of an alcoholic he was. I just knew that he was getting in so much trouble. Right. Yeah. And then I thought we'd do an episode about him because the movie Honey Boy... Right, which you told me to watch, and at the time you told me, I had not heard of it, and or I maybe heard of it, but I had no idea that he was in it. I certainly did not know it was about him, his life, or anything. I had no yeah. knowledge. So it was, as I was watching the movie, I slowly started thinking to myself, I wonder if this is semi-autobiographical. Because yeah. I didn't even know he was in uh, Even Stevens or whatever that is. Yeah. So it was a discovery for me. Yeah, it, was, it really could, well, I won't spoil the party, but I love the movie and it was a really interesting experience. Yeah. Well, that's what I want to get into today. I want to talk about the psychology of Shia LaBeouf because there's a fair amount that we can get into. He's pretty honest with in interviews and the movie Honey Boy gives us an insight into at least how he sees his childhood. What do you say, Berta? Let's talk about it. Let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. And my name is Humberto Castaneda, and I fabricate fiberglass foam rollers. So, timeline, 1986, he's born in L.A., and in his childhood, what do you know about his childhood? And and spoiler alert for Honey Boy, which you can't really spoil, because this doesn't really have a plot exactly. It's about his childhood. He basically wrote and, I think, directed this movie that... I don't know if he directed it. He definitely wrote it. He wrote it, and he he plays his father. He might have directed it. He plays his. It, right. it, it's it's um, semi autobiographical. It's not yeah. actual autobiographical. Yeah, because it's a different names and things yeah. like that. But a lot of his own experiences. But it's obviously yeah. exactly from his life. Yeah, exactly. And he plays his dad, and this other kid actor plays him when he was a kid as he was an up and coming actor. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. I mean, like I knew nothing about his childhood. I had no. I had heard of the show Even Stevens. Never watched an episode, didn't know who was in it. But it was for kids, that show. Yeah, well, and at a time where I was no longer a kid. So, right. And so, therefore, when the movie starts and they're showing us... I, actually, I was a little confused when the movie first started because I didn't know 
is this a flashback? Like, what's happening? You know, but when they showed us the kid actor, I hadn't yet put two, two and two together. I, I just thought, okay, this is an interesting story. It was later in the movie where I started thinking, wait a minute. Because then there were other little things where I'm like, oh, is this about his like career? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I knew from the beginning, so I was like watching that. So I didn't know anything about his childhood. Yeah. Right. So he grew up in poverty. His parents divorced eventually. His father suffered from PTSD from the Vietnam War. Oh, from Vietnam. Okay. Some pretty classic, severe Mm -hmm. war PTSD. He struggled with heroin addiction. He, the father, you know, the father, the father, which a lot of trauma sufferers will turn to as a way of... um, Did they show that? And I don't remember if they... Um, Yeah, he... He went to AA meetings. Oh, the AA. I thought it was like alcoholism, but okay. And then he had a I bender. He, he went on a... He had a relapse. Right, right. That's true. Yeah. Um, he... Oh, you're right. Yeah, he does talk about it. I yeah. Forgot. Shia LaBeouf says that his dad was verbally and mentally abusive and physically abusive. And one time he pointed a gun at him during a Vietnam War flashback, according, according to him. And they kind of depict that pretty well in the movie, Honey Boy. You know, some of those scenes were so good, so well made, and so difficult because uh, the father, the, the boy is what twelve or something, and the father is saying these things that are bordering on, you know, a father just having a conversation with his son and telling him, "Hey, you know, you got to be tough in life sometimes," but it even it like dips into these like abusive rants about him and about how weak he is and about how he's not like him and all these things and and he you know the little kid is just kind of like taking it and kind of you know ignoring it because he loves his dad and he wants to be with his dad right that must have been so hard to write emotionally i mean you know and of course the craft of writing but the emotional part yeah well said yeah that the the main thesis of the movie is just what you described is a father who is on the narcissistic side, on the insecure side, on the disheveled side of life and is very frequently pushing his child to act on one hand, pushing his child to act in these various productions, but also helping him with his acting. Right. Shia LaBeouf said, that his father, he wouldn't be an actor if it wasn't for his father teaching yeah. him how to be an actor. And they show scenes where it was so well done again, like these little, like the whole scene with like flare your nostrils. I thought that scene was meant to be like how out of touch his father was sometimes because he was like in a rodeo or something. And and they show the kid like, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to do that. But then... He like does, and then I read later that actually like that was a thing that Shia LaBeouf did in the show. That was kind of like a a, a a gimmick of his character. So it actually what he did receive interesting advice that seemed not. The other scenes that also you could see from both sides, when the father's being super overprotective, like no, I'm gonna be the bad guy. We're going right now. You said this was gonna end right. in one hour. I'm taking him. And now if you look at it from the context of the movie, you're like oh wow, he's just so violent, so aggressive. The flip side is, if you know anything about Hollywood and about how they abuse kids, both literally and figuratively, it, it, you need someone like that. You need a, a bit of a tiger dad in that situation or right. or mom to be like, nope, we're going. Yeah, it was such a rich character that LaBeouf wrote for his father. Yeah. On one hand, you hated him. On the other hand, 
you felt bad for him and kind of liked him. And by the way, that he played so... Because it's... First of all, I was thinking, it's hard to make a Hollywood actor look bad normally. Yeah. You you, you see the, the Christian Bales, they go to like, like extremes, like, I'll lose 100 pounds. Yeah. But normally, because they're so good looking and well... Co- or the Charlize of- Theron in, in uh, that one movie. Yeah. Or Monster... Uh, Mon- the, not Monster. The other, yeah, yeah. But anyways, in this one, at first I wasn't kind of buying the look because I'm like, well, you just grew a mullet. It's it's still shallow buff. But I'm like, well, did he gain weight? It doesn't matter. He pushed through that disconnect. And as soon as he was acting, I was like, okay, I'm buying this character. Yeah, I consider LaBeouf to be one of the best actors of our time. Yeah. You know, top 20 actors yeah. or something. And this movie demonstrates that because... You can't get away from it's LaBeouf. Ah, Shia LaBeouf. But in this movie, right away, yeah, you, you're convinced. This is, yeah. we're watching this random guy that I don't know be a dick to his son. <laughs> you know, like, it's, a, it's a very subtle art because, okay, so you take someone like um, Keanu Reeves. I just rewatched Point Break because it was the uh, 30-year anniversary. I rewatched it too. God, that movie has some great scenes and some terrible scenes. I know, scenes. I know, but it's fun. It's fun. But and listen. why? I love Keanu. He's a fellow Hapa brother, yes. but he is a terrible actor. Right, and that's the thing, because Keanu, no matter what he does, like, look, I enjoy... Bill and Ted's great. Right. I, I enjoy watching Keanu, especially Matrix, Bill and Ted's, but you can't ever get away from, like, that's Keanu Reeves. Yeah. He's Keanu Reeves. And you have a little bit of this. I've and got Swayze in, is amazing. And Swayze is... It, when you watch the two of them side by side, yeah. what a master class comparatively, right? Yeah. Okay. You have a similar effect, and I've gotten in debates about this too. Uh, I felt that way about Johnny Depp to a certain extent. No, I love. I think he's really good. I know. I've had this debate. There are some roles that he's done which absolutely every credit. A lot of roles, though, for me, and this just my opinion, not nowhere near as much. But I always like, okay, that's Johnny Depp. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, you're right. There's like. Fear and Loathing, I don't like that movie. I don't like him in that movie. Because it's a little bit like that. It's like, yeah. okay, it's Johnny Depp doing the little impersonation. Or Willy Wonka. Yeah. Or... Yeah. Um, but then there are some roles that legitimately you have to hand it to him. Yeah. Now, what you don't get that with DiCaprio. You don't get that with this guy, Sheila Buff. Yeah. You get full immersion. Right. It, it, DiCaprio, I was the biggest naysayer at first because of Titanic. And not because Titanic wasn't technically a, an enjoyable movie. It's just that it was so overblown. That I was like, oh, I can't stand this DiCaprio guy. And someone's like, oh, have you seen The Island? I'm like, oh, what? No, I'm not going to watch. Turns out it's a good, it's an entertaining movie. Then you, then he starts making all these awesome movies where every time he acts, you're like engrossed in it. Yeah. And then Le- Shia LaBeouf is, is to me that thing where, where he came from doesn't represent what he's capable of. Right. Which he gets into in some interviews, which I'll get into later about him feeling at odds with his mainstream kind yeah. of plastic uh, acting jobs that he's given. But anyway, other things from his childhood. Shia LaBeouf overheard a man raping his mother. What? When he was a child. Yeah. No. And oh my God. he says in a quote, I froze, the man ran out, and my mom ran after him. And there was violence. That, oh uh, the, the rapist ran off and was never found. And he said that he became unruly at school after that. Yeah. Yeah. So in summary of his childhood, oh there's probably a lot of chaos. I mean, we're just hearing the tip of the iceberg probably. 
there's probably a lot of violence, you know, sexual assault, a lot of feelings of danger, uncertainty, powerlessness. Yeah. I think a, a theme of powerlessness, not yeah. only from the chaos, but also from his dad making him feel yeah. like a powerless, impotent little child, you know? Literally, because he would always be like, that's how you pee? You right. Know? Yeah. Like, he was literally, like, putting his manhood down. I know. It was so brutal. And it was... um you know, th- there's these things where... And you pa- got to figure that the dad came from a similar father himself. Oh, of course. Yeah. There's these things where a parent or someone who's really close to you can do and say that cut you to the bone. Yeah. Something like, you'll never amount to anything. Or, right. I, as an example, and I don't mean or, to... Or body shaming. Or body shaming. I, and I don't mean to single her out, my poor mom. But uh, when I was in high school, I was practicing piano and singing, uh, and she was upstairs, and she yells down... Will you stop that infernal racket? And to this day, I remember that moment. Yeah. And it cut me deep. Yeah. Uh, because those aren't just things that anyone out on the streets said to you. They're the people that you care the most about, the people right. that represent the world. So now in the moment, I'm sure she was frustrated. Who knows what was going on? She just literally meant she didn't want to hear the noise. But what it, sa- what it, what it said to me was, I will never amount to anything. I'm not worth it. I'm certainly no music. Like that's all the things packaged in that little moment. Yeah. So when when the little kid is being told any of those things, like oh, you don't have your manhood is flawed, or you don't do this, or it's just like you'll never amount to anything. You're nothing. Right. Times that moment that you had with your mom times a thousand times, and that's yeah. what Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, to constantly. Me. Yeah. Right. It gets under your skin. Yeah. Yeah. So, two, year 2000, he's now in his early teens. He, he, this is when Honey Boy is taking place. He starts acting. He's in the Disney show called Even Stevens. Then he's in Holes in 2003 when he's like 15-ish or something, which is a huge movie. And this is when I first heard of him. I've never seen that movie. I remember the name Holes. I just never saw it. It was a yeah. huge kids movie. In the, <laughs> it was in based the, on a book, I think. Yeah, perhaps. In 05, he voiced the boy in Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Oh, I, wait, I think I knew that. but And he yeah. was Keanu's driver in Constantine. Actually, I liked Keanu in Constantine. Yeah. Um, and There's some roles where he actually is just measured enough. Yeah. Actually, to be honest, the Matrix used him so effectively. Right, exactly. And... Uh, but yeah, so LaBeouf was in Constantine as Keanu's driver, so that would have been the first time that I had seen him. And then age 21, 2007, he's in Transformers. So at this point, he's huge. He is right. the next you know, Hollywood darling, essentially, uh, and probably an instant millionaire because they probably signed oh, him yeah. up for a, for no, a bunch of movies. Huge breakout for him. So along around this time, he... Uh, I think on his 21st birthday, he got really hammered. Sorry, it was Disturbia. Did you ever see that? No. It was a surprisingly entertaining movie, sort of based on Rear Window. Not based, but like inspired by Rear Window. Anyways, he... He's in this kind of neighborhood where a lot of bad stuff is happening. I don't remember the details, but I saw him in that. This was before Transformers, and I thought, I like him, and I like this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he has a... An appeal about him. There's sort of a weird charisma yeah. that it's hard to explain. Because he doesn't, if you look at him, you wouldn't think, oh, there's a charismatic guy. But there's just something about him that 
and, is and his highly looks are traditional. Not, not sorry, his looks aren't as good looking as some of the other guys. I mean, he's a right. good looking guy, but he's not. He's not a DiCaprio. Exactly, he's not as whatever you want to. So it's a little more relatable in a way. Yeah, yeah. But there's also just something about the way he moves and talks and just is you know his he probably got it from yeah. his dad his dad yeah. i think it was christmas but anyway so this is the first one of his antics he's 21 and he was arrested at 2 30 in the morning at a chicago walgreens he was you know drunk and disorderly and refusing to leave the store the security guard said that he was really drunk and being disruptive and he was charged with criminal trespassing because he refused to leave the store and the store later dropped the charges by the way, I am I have no legs or footing to look at those stories and be like, yeah, what a I had so many chaotic drunkenly situations, including uh one time Halloween, I was in a club in uh at, at a bar in UW with our friend Eric, and I was pretty which, hammered. Which bar? I don't remember anymore, but they were having a costume contest. Uh, and I didn't have a costume on me, but I wanted to go on stage because I'm a narcissist. Oh my god! And I was talking to some of the girls there, and actually, I was in that mood. I, I actually, I was on that night, so I was having like a little rapport, and I had like this little cadre of like three gals I was talking to, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go on stage. And I'm like, if you don't have a costume, I'm like, that's okay. I'm college dude, and I'm doing air quotes here, college dude. And they thought it was the funniest thing, so I'm like, I'm going on. All right. So I go up on stage and they're cheering me on. Meanwhile, my friend Eric is on the other side of the bar talking to someone else unaware of this. And I go up and I'm like, yeah, I'm here for the contest. And the dude that's moderating it, the MC, uh, he's like, uh, you don't have a costume. You, you can't participate. I'm like, no, I'm college, dude. Then I'm sorry, you can't. Well, look, it's, they want me to be. And they're like, yeah, let him do it. He's like, no, no, you, don't, you need a costume. So then he turns around. And I, and I'll regret this forever because what a dick. Oh. I grab my drink, oh. my full drink, and I dump it down his back. Oh. There's your Bardo for you. Any, any one of Bardo lovers out there, that's what Bardo did when he was 21 or 22 or whatever. I that's what he did. Feel, you haven't told me that. I remember you telling I me that. I told you a long time ago. Long that's what time I did. Ago. And so guess what? So the guy turns around, and of course he's working for the club, so he doesn't swing at me, but he pushes me, shoves me off the stage. And I don't know how I land on both feet, because I was pretty drunk, but I land on both feet laughing my ass off. And all the girls are like, oh my God, that's hilarious. Of course, the bouncers come and escort me out. And I don't know why they didn't kick, beat me up. Probably didn't want to get sued. But that was one of those moments that someone can get arrested or you can get beat up really badly, whatever. Someone came and tapped my friend Eric on the shoulder. Hey, you got to go. Why? Uh, your buddy just uh, did something really bad. You got to go. And they didn't tell him what. So until he got outside and we talked, he was like, what the hell did you do? What did you think when you woke up the next day? Um, honestly, at that age... I still thought it was hilarious. Uh, I was a lot less, now that I look back, a lot less empathetic in some ways. That's weird. But um, it took me a lot of drunken times for me to start realizing that when I was drunk, there were often times where I'd be, I, I would do some very mean things or, or irresponsible things. Well, one could say you come from a similar background as Shia LaBeouf. There is definitely a lot of similarity in that I'm a famous Hollywood star. <laughs> well, that you had a dad that would lecture you all the time. Yeah, yeah. You had parents that would put you down. Oh, and actually, it's sort of, I have, um, it, the dad role in this case was the dad who was always telling me how amazing I was and how, 
he was basically putting the hopes of the universe on me. And I had another parent that would often put me down and, and actually a whole side of the family because you've seen a little bit of that. Like my whole mom's side of the family is a very opinionated, very biting side of the family. Kind of uppity. And uppity. And so um, anyways, the po- point is, yeah, I had plenty of plenty of mixed uh, things in there. Well, if you wrote Your Honey Boy and there was that scene where you're dumping the drink down the guy's back what would that be motivated by regarding your childhood? That's a great question. You know, I had never actually thought of that. In all these times I've told that story, I've never asked myself, why did I do that? Because the obvious answer is I was drunk, but whoa, whoa, I wouldn't do that today. Right. That's a great question. So I was being told no. I was being told, you don't belong here. And that's some deep wounds, right? That has my mom leaving. I don't belong with her. She doesn't belong with me. Hmm. It has... Me moving back and forth between Colombia and, and the States because I I need to move and therefore I don't belong where I was. Me coming to new schools and not belonging. Mm. Me not being from the wealthy side of the tracks and therefore not belonging in those circles all the time. And so I, I you know, there's probably more, but there's a lot of things there that where I, I had this feeling of like, you don't control me. You don't tell me what I can and can't do. I will show the world. And so, oh, okay, you told me I can't be in this contest. Well, I'm going to dump this on your back and prove it to the universe that I I can be on this stage. Plus, I was showing off for the girls, which was... <laughs> and well, and what's going on there? Like, what's me the... Me trying to... What's the desperation there? Yeah, so I'm trying to impress females in a chaotic manner. Uh, to gain approval? To gain approval, yeah, certainly. Yeah. And I need not the approval of one by talking to her and maybe getting to know her. I need every female's approval. Right. Because one, your mom abandoned you when you were four. And she is every woman in the world to me. And two, your dad told you you should seek approval by everyone because you're capable of that. Because I am. He also told me, yeah, exactly. That's right. So there's combinations of factors. So in that moment, I'm like, well, first of all, I can't look bad in front of these women because I know I don't I need not one of their I need all of them to like love me, adore me, never leave me. So I need to impress them. I need to do something dramatic like they do in the movies. And this guy is not going to tell me I can't rule the world and I need to show him that I absolutely belong on this stage and every stage. And the only way to do that is to dump this drink on his back. Right. So if you're out there and you're listening and this happened to you, I, from the bottom of my heart, I apologize. I, I, I am sorry you didn't get your chance to like get even. Uh, you did push me off the stage. I could have broken my ankle, but you know, whatever. Um, and, yeah, it's interesting parallel. I didn't think we'd go here with Shia LaBeouf. That was after, and we'll get into more of the details of his life. That's what I think he, in part, and was depicted in Honey Boy, suffering from is this deep insecurity that he's trying to correct for through being in movies and TV and stuff, but also he's suffering all day long and he drinks as a way of trying to cope with that suffering. And then when he's drunk, it exaggerates these qualities that are not very um, polite. Yeah. So that's my point is I could sit here and say, oh, geez, how dysfunctional. I'm not even a Hollywood star and I was doing these things, right? right? So it's not, 
it, it, these things happen to young people with with trauma and hurt right. all the time. Yes. So then, two thousand eight, he is twenty two, and he is now in Indiana Jones in the Kingdom of the Gray <laughs> Come Skull. On. Can we avoid it? Can we just say he was in a movie with Harrison Ford? But I think it's important to point this out because at this point, he is a humongous star. <clears throat> you know, he's trans. He's all transformed up. He's the next Harrison Ford, and uh, all he's you yeah. know, Hollywood darling. All the Steve, <clears throat> Steven Spielberg, uh, whoever does the Transformer movies, what's his face? And they're gonna uh, George Lucas. Oh, sorry, uh, Michael, Bay. Michael Bay. But they're gonna take over the franchise with him. That's like you're the new, literally right. the, the new face of the uh, Indiana Jones franchise. Right. Lots of money, yeah. all all the fame, and he hates himself on the inside, though. And the movie is critically panned, so that must have been tough. Right. And the movie is critically and fan-hated, yeah. and he is the the main focus. Like, Which is unfortunate because... If it's you, not his fault. No. In fact, if you watch it, there, there are very few things in that movie that are even watchable. And I'm not defending the, the monkey uh, swinging from the vines, but that's not his fault. Every scene he talks in and, and participates in, he adds to the movie, not not subtracts. Yeah, Harrison Ford doesn't add much. Does it? No, and 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 what's her name? Sadly, Margot is it? Uh, whatever her name was. Well, Catherine. That, I, oh, Catherine. That, the main actress that played Marion in the old movies. Oh, it's not Margot Kidder. It's um, yeah, something. Whatever right. her name is. Sadly, at this point in her career, yeah, was not pulling right. You know. no, none of them were. Um, yeah. Even Catherine, um, what's her face, uh, wasn't wasn't very yeah. compelling. Yeah. So, I think that if I would just speculate based on the little bit I know about his life, he hates himself. Now the world hates him, and he's a he's you know, struggling with okay, what kind of identity do I have? I I want to make good. Um, art but i also am now this huge star which i didn't think would happen i have the voice of my father in me yeah um i hate myself you know all that kind of stuff then we skip forward a couple years 2012 and he reportedly got and these are just the things that get reported right but on the set of lawless with tom hardy he got drunk and reportedly knocked him out but uh, he and Tom Hardy said that they were just play fighting a lot. But I heard both stories, yes. Right. So on one hand, I think <laughs> it's possible that he did get drunk and punched Tom Hardy and knocked him out, which is pretty awful. And they, they just covered it up in the press. Or it was sensationalized that yeah. him and Tom Hardy were just play fighting. Who knows? Um, but he started getting tired of being in mainstream movies at this point. And he says, quote, They felt dated as fuck. You come up on these stories like Easy Rider and Raging Bull and De Niro and Scorsese and Hopper, and you find value in what they do. Meanwhile, you're chasing Energon crystals. You know, <laughs> is that how you say the Transformers? I have no idea. Ener Energon crystals or whatever? I have no idea. Um, and he said he had uh, two ways of coping with this. One is drinking a lot, and two was going full method in his acting. He says, my way of running is to drink. In an old, in a good old fashioned, I'm a good old fashioned drunk, whiskey and beer, and have been since I touched alcohol. So I'm guessing that because of his trauma, multiple traumas growing up, and and a lot of PTSD, the alcohol once he started drinking made him feel okay and normal and calm for the first time, and that's why he kept drinking. And and I'll get more into at the very end of me reviewing his whole life. I'm going to get into my 
uh, hypothesis as to what's going on with his psychology. But anyway, and then the other way that he copes is going full method. Why yeah. do you think going full method would help him, bro? Well, so I think, first of all, there is a lot of uh, cachet. There's a lot of historical context around actors that were revered and they would go full method, like, uh, like Marlon Brando, Brando. yeah, right? And there's something to it when done right. Like, you see that and you're like, wow, what a commitment to that role. You know, like I was saying, Christian Bale literally starving himself to play someone who starves themselves, right? You're like, wow, that's commitment. Okay. Uh, so even if you're playing a role in a movie that maybe is not, uh, you know, super artsy or whatever, you can be like, well, at least I will be the full highlight and I will, and they will believe my character. And so it's, it's some amount of control. Mm within having not as much control over his career. Yeah, uh, it's good. My speculation is that it's losing the self. When you drink or uh, yeah. dive into some uh, art form or playful method in you know on camera and you know cuz some I think what he when he says going full method, I think he means when the camera stops rolling, he stays, he still in, stays in, in his character. character and it's a way of avoiding I could see that at the same time, like, you know, for a craft, you could, you could do that with almost any craft, right? Like, uh, I've done this for sure, where I, um, as an example, in 2000, I used, to, I was working at something at work and I spent, uh, like two days in a row, no sleep, just working on it. And it was not, not healthy. You know, it was not healthy, but I look back, I'm like, why did I do that? You know, why, like, uh, these foam rollers build themselves almost, especially with, like, you know, um, the way we build them with cheap components, you know, stuff. So why did I spend so much time spending all the, and I must have been escaping, Mm. you know, escaping into the work. Well, I think it's twofold. One is it's, uh, you go into a flow state and yeah. it's it's euphoric. Yeah. You know, you you know what that's like with yeah. music and other kinds of things. Yeah. You, you get in a flow state and it's just like euphoria or at the very least you forget about all your troubles because you're engrossed in a task. Yeah. And I think it also helps to avoid, you know, if if you hate yourself and you hate your life. And coupled with what you're saying that in in the method acted acting on top of that He's becoming someone else. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you can hide within a different persona, which I think that some of the best actors are like that. Tom Cruise seems like he's a candidate for that, too. You know, it's funny. Uh, it's funny you mention him. He's someone that is always Tom Cruise, and yet he is fully believable in whatever he does. Now, he picks right. the right roles to, to be believable. Right. In fact, there's only a couple exceptions to that role that I can think of. There was the, the one where he played the hitman. Did you see that one? Yeah, that one is Colla- it collateral. It was yeah, it was a good movie, but I actually bought him less than normal in that movie. Yeah, it didn't do a bad job. It's just like for some reason he was on the edge for me. But whatever. The point is that guy goes full in. Yeah. Now I don't know if he stays in character after or whatever. I, I don't know. But while he's while cameras are rolling, it's you cannot do anything but believe that that's the person. Right. And uh, yeah, so there's an intensity to it, and I could imagine that there's a bit of an escape there as well, and a little bit of like, yeah, I'm I'm becoming someone else. Um, well, if you hate yourself, what better thing to do than to become someone else for a while, right? Yeah. And, and people do this um, sometimes in other arenas, 
like if um well did you ever do this Berto? like you maybe even did it that night where you go out at night you go to a bar and you just want to become smooth guy at a bar yeah i've actually um there's a few different options or examples of that for me one is what you're saying you've seen me do that you've seen me be in that mode and now sometimes it's kind of hard because from the outside looking in especially as you were getting to know me there's a part of this like well that's how Bardo is he's just like fun and we're out and he's fun and he's improvising and stuff true and I'm also escaping right. and I'm becoming someone else right true um, I've also done it I, I mentioned this the other day it was uh, walking late at night at Seattle like at 2am in the morning drunk and convincing myself I am a serial killer I'm going to be a serial killer and I'm going to walk these streets dangerously and I'm going to look at people in an evil way uh, for self-protection. But there's a little bit more to it. There, there's this horrible, I mean, again, stories to love Bairdo by, horrible story where I was really, really drunk and I was walking, it was like 3 a.m. in the morning and I saw a, a man that must have been homeless. I'm sure he was. He was probably high on something. And I come up towards him and he was saying something disassociated to me, like he wasn't making sense. And as a method of self-defense, I got so angry at him. And I started, speaking of pointing your finger, I started pointing my finger in his face, super angry and threatening him and telling him that he is not my father. Oh yeah, you told me this. Remember this? And... And I was so aggressive and so threatened. I probably re-traumatized or, or did some mental damage to this guy. Uh, Where was that coming from psychologically? A, uh, I was trying to defend myself because I felt that I was vulnerable. I was at 3 a.m. in the morning, drunk. I mean, in reality, I was intoxicated enough that if I had gotten in a fight, I probably wouldn't have done very well. And, or would have really harmed someone, you know, because I've... I've done that to trees before where I like destroyed a tree one time. Uh, it's a small tree, not, not King Kong here, but there was a small tree and I was so upset at my mom that I, um, and I was drunk, that I just tore its limbs apart. And it's scary, man. It's so scary. Right. So imagine if you're famous yeah, and someone has a cell phone camera and films you yeah, and puts that on the internet. Yeah, and then you're every every, every uh, green activist group will be like, this guy killed a tree, you know. And by the way, I went back, still drunk. I went back and cried and apologized to the tree for like two hours because it was so horrific to me what I had done, and well, it was so scary. It was well, so scary. Right. Well, both incidents are examples of identifying with the abuser and becoming. Yeah becoming the abuser, making someone else yeah. feel the way you yep. felt. Yep. And yeah. not not pretty. Oh, right. Because I remember with, with the homeless person, he was asking, uh, whether he was asking me for money or not, he was saying dis disassociated things. Like, he wasn't making any sense, but I felt the sense of need. And so all this anger welled up in me because I was like, I already take care of my father. You're not my father. So it wasn't like I was delusional, like, you're, I think you're my father. It wasn't that. It was actually, I was trying to, in my rage, tell him like, oh, I remember now. 
in my mind, I was trying to help him. That's what it was. I was thinking, I'm going to scare him straight. Obviously, this is completely crazy thinking by my part, but I was thinking, I'm going to scare him straight. I'm going to scare him. But I'm in, in, in my, my, in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to convey to him that he is not powerless and that he can get himself out of this. But then the rage escalated to a point where I couldn't really control it. it and then since the guy was also not there, he was, he was really, I could look at it, I could see it in his eyes how confused and scared he was by this. But he kept saying things. And so like it escalated. And then I was like, you know, yelling at him about him not being my father. And I shouldn't have to take care of you. You can do this. You can get yourself. It was like that. Yeah, I didn't lay any hands on him. But I was sure, like, I mean, it's it's bad. It's sad, hard, scary to think about. Yeah. It's just. And, and again, I'm not famous. This is not me spending my millions on drugs. This was just me with alcohol exercising my demons. Right. You're a good person. You've always been a good person. You've been less mature than you are now in the past, but you've always been, uh, you know, a good human being. And really susceptible without knowing. I didn't know how susceptible I was to both. This is why, you know, like I I didn't know how susceptible I was to abusing alcohol, for example. And I, I didn't know how susceptible I was to while I was doing that raging or, or, or being super depressed or being abusive to myself or other, like I didn't know that. Right. And even if you did, what do you do about it? Yeah. Even if you go to therapy, it takes years. And as you know, as you're first growing up with alcohol, you're told by your friends, by society and everything that all these little stories are actually funny stories. Right. These are, oh, dude, you won't believe what I got up to. Oh, it was crazy. That's the story. That's the narrative. Right. So it's not a problem to solve. It's just another crazy story that happened. Man, maybe I shouldn't drink so much next time. Yeah. Well, let's take a break. When we get back, let's continue with Shia LaBeouf's story and ending with my conceptualization of a psychology. What do you say, Berto? Let's do it. All right, we're back from the break. We are trying to get everyone to become annual patrons of the podcast. So if you're a current patron or not a patron, become an annual patron and you get a discount and we benefit by being able to plan for our future. All right, so let's go to 2013. Uh, By this point, he is in his mid-20s, I'm thinking, or wait, uh, 30, maybe Uh, 31-ish. I don't know how, wait, mid-20s. During the making of Charlie Countryman, which I haven't seen, he choked the director. Wow. I didn't know about that one. He was also charged with plagiarism by several journalists. I didn't know about that one. What do you know about that? I, I mean, I, I know he made like a short film or something yeah. where he was apparently copying text and reading it, but he was, his explanation, I don't know, I haven't seen it, I don't know everything, but his explanation was that he was inspired by, but apparently he was a little too inspired by. Right. So my impression of what happened was he was trying to create something of his own and he was trying to break free of the Transformers, uh, you know, uh, ball and chain. And he was taking some shortcuts by uh, plagiarizing, but maybe not thinking he was plagiarizing. And when he was caught plagiarizing, you, you know, I think all of us have had experiences like this where 
we're young and insecure and we don't we're cutting corners and we're trying to um, be impressive to people and we don't think hard enough about am i copying too much of someone else's stuff right now there is that and there's also the i'm an artist and i am inspired by what i know and there's the george lucas where you can see direct scene by scene yeah things that he took from other places but from what i understand you know, the shia labeouf thing was, was like it more direct it was very direct oh, okay. yeah and he so i'm imagining him in the situation given his psychology and his rage you know his internal anger at the yeah. world and his self-hatred so he has self-hatred and it all this shame from the world you know he 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 put himself out there his right. his his first attempts at art really of of him creating something he gets slapped in the face and he self-loathes but also comes out real angry and in all of his weird machinations as he's figuring out what to do he apologizes but he uh, plagiarized a Yahoo Answers apology. Oh no, I didn't know that. But he did it on purpose. Oh, I see. Was it like a joke part at that point? Right. So now, oh, what I'm okay, so okay, so okay. because I think what he this is total speculation. I think what he was thinking was, if I make it seem like I was trying to plagiarize all along, right? Then I can define myself as this like. That in, was the art of it. Like I'm the yeah I'm I'm the and uh, Andy Warhol of yeah. of film. Right. You know, like it is a Campbell soup. Like he didn't design the Campbell soup, right? <laughs> and he then started to, uh, with tongue in cheek, plagiarize a lot of different other things. He would say things in interviews. I see. It's the I played a wrong note, so now I'm going to play that same note every measure. Exactly. <laughs> we know that one. <laughs> yeah. Um. So in an interview, he said uh, this moment was transformational for him, and it and it turned him to performance art. He wanted to dive more into that. Mm, so this is when he was an actor in Nymphomaniac. Yeah, did you ever see that movie? I did. Well, to be fair, I tried to watch all of it. It's long. Yeah, and it does get it's boring. Surprisingly, it's like super lurid. There's tons of sex, but it does kind of get. It's boring. so it's so boring. It's it is super boring. There's not a minute of that movie that I could be entertained by. So. <laughs> I was interested at first because the whole thing is like this gal is telling her story to this older guy and so, anyways, it does get boring. Right? Yeah, it was very boring. And yeah. it's so long, like unnecessarily long. Yeah. So, <laughs> and yeah, it was, you know, it has all these stars in it. So But to, it was quote unquote, well, I don't even put quotes. It was brave of him to do this because Yeah. It, you know, it's first of all like he's. It's in a sex movie. It's a very foreigny movie. It's totally non-traditional, and so he here goes this kid star, then doing all these pop movies to doing that. You know, right. It's a big leap. A better movie in that vein is Shame. With oh yeah, with, Shame is amazing. With fast. Well, Shame has a tight, concise narrative to it, but it's in that similar lurid vein yeah, yeah you know you can make a good movie you know because uh, anyway don't. but it's you know to i wouldn't put it on him you know he was trying to do something no no you know, he's yeah. an actor he's not yeah. it is but at the premiere he wore a bag on his head i'm not famous or something i'm not famous anymore anymore right i'm not famous anymore. i remember seeing photos at the time and i thought that's clever i like it and in a press conference he said the seagulls follow the trawler it is be 
when the seagulls follow the trawler, it is because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. Okay. And then he stormed out. Okay. So, so I, again, I think Great. what's happening in his head is, I hate myself, but I also need to be the center of attention. Yeah. And I don't know how to manage that. And I feel like w- when I was 18, I could kind of relate to that feeling of, right. I don't want to be the center of attention, but I do want to be the center of attention. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. I don't want to be shamed and I'm in, and I'm insecure and I and I don't want anyone to look at me because I yeah. I, I don't want to be self-conscious about like wh- what my hands are doing you know like he's always the thing what do I, what do I do with my hands you know Well I still had that we talked about this I still had that when I first started playing out and in fact for a while while I was playing on stage you know because I both wanted the ad- adulation and I also don't want any comments I don't you know right. I want both things at the same time So if you're not famous anymore and you don't want to be thought of as famous anymore. Why would you wear a paper bag on your head that says right. I'm not famous anymore? Right. It's a it's a you know yeah. a contradiction. Yeah. And I think he's smart enough to kind of get that. Yes, and in fact, uh, but troubled uh, enough to do it. Right. Right. Um, then he in the same year started the hashtag I am sorry project. I remember that. Yep. He was I think apologizing for the things he had done, and he sat alone in a room with the same paper bag over his head in Los Angeles in an art space mm-hmm. and visitors could visit one by one. You would stand in line yep. and for five days he sat in this room and you could go into the room and sit with him and do whatever you wanted to him. Yep. And one journalist asked him and wrote about it, I think in some uh, online uh, article, she asked him to take the bag off because she's like, are you really Shia LaBeouf? I can't, because he would, he just sat there. He wouldn't really yeah. say anything. And uh, and he took the bag off, and and he was crying and in a lot of distress. Oh, and so you'd imagine that this is another self punishment kind of thing. He's doing. I am sorry. Maybe wasn't he also wearing like very little? Like he had a. In the picture I saw, he had like a suit on or something. Oh, okay, maybe I'm wrong. But he, who was he apologizing to? You know. Mm To his dad, yeah. To the world, like uh, this. Yeah. I hate myself. I'm sorry, and yeah. it's kind of an interesting thing because I think it's an effort for him to make art, which is you know legit. He can make art, and it is art. It's pretty interesting art when you think about it. And also, when you step full method, because method yeah. is you become the thing, yep. and if you are trying to exercise your demons and you want to do it through various different activities, one of which being, I am so sorry, then this might be a good way to do it. And you could just imagine him going full method while he's yeah. sitting there with that bag on his head. Um, and you can actually see the picture. of she, she says, can I take a picture of you? And he's just crying, staring into her eyes. Was the other one, there's, there's, was it, didn't he do a thing where he was in a theater watching himself? Yeah, that was a different thing. But he was crying in that one. Well, he would occasionally cry, because he watched... Yeah. I'll get to that later. Yeah. But he said in an interview later after this thing that he was raped by one of the visitors. He was he was sexually abused by someone, yes. Yeah. And they shut it down yeah. because of that. Yeah, yeah. But, my God. I, I think, um, at the time... I, that one confused me a little bit. I mean, obviously, there's something innovative when someone just does something new in the world. 
Uh, however, that one to me definitely had more of those under or even overtones of like, wait, is this a cry for help? Like that, it's kind of hard to tell sometimes, you know, it's like, yeah, 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 I think it was, I think it's all those things. Um, next year he's in Fury, which I love. I haven't seen that, but I've heard great things. Oh yeah. I mean, it's got kind of a ridiculous ending, but, and it has a ridiculous middle part where they visit with these two German ladies or. By the way, Brad Pitt is another one of the actors for me who a lot of times is still just Brad Pitt in a role. Sometimes he's transcended that for me, but not all the time. Yeah. I don't know if he gets there. Like even in Inglorious Bastards, which is a movie I love and is super entertaining. Yeah. Brad Pitt always takes me a little bit out of it. Yeah, in spite he, of how fun and entertaining it is. Yeah, me. he's hit or miss. Like Burn After Reading, amazing. Yeah. Uh 12 Monkeys, amazing. Yeah. Other, you know, other kind of early movies, amazing. But then you Fight get, Club, amazing. Yeah, Fight Club, amazing. But, but in, in yeah, in, in a there's certain roles that that he's just like really good at doing. Um at, although I will say in 7, which is another amazing movie. That one was borderline because he was great. But the problem is you're you're sitting there comparing him to Morgan Freeman and Ke- Kevin Spacey, Spacey yeah. and, and it's like ah. But yeah. he was great in that. Anyways, Anyways uh, I'm di- digressing. So Shia LaBeouf in Fury, he goes full method. Yeah, and he famously went for days without bathing. And I remember hearing about how smelly he was. Yes. And he had a front tooth of his shaved down because. He wanted it to look like he had been smacked in the face from a recoil of a gun. Wow. And he couldn't just wear a thing. Okay. And he also thought his he his face scar makeup wasn't convincing enough, so he actually sliced his face open. Wow. And he kept opening it up as they were filming because they film over weeks, right? Unbelievable. Like, yeah. that is damaging. Right. It's one wow. thing to gain weight and lose weight. Which is... Unhealthy enough. Like, right. that's scary enough. But yeah. slicing your face open and shaving a tooth yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. And then he was in Sia, the Elastic Heart video. I love that. Yeah, I really liked it, too. But did and you know there was an outcry afterwards? Um, I know that there were a lot of outcries related to Sia and her use of Ma- Ma- Massey. What, what's her name? Ma- the kid. Mad- Maddie. Maddie. Um, like for example, in her chandelier video, which I love that song is so good. Anyways, there was an outcry because uh, some people were like, Oh, they're sexualizing this little preteen. Right. Um, I didn't feel that way. I thought it was a beautiful video. Yeah. I didn't feel that way at all, but there was this huge outcry of course. And she had to publicly apologize. And then I didn't know about this one. I don't know what the, well, it was Shia and this preteen girl are in these kind of... In the bubbles, yeah. They're like these kind of nude leotard things. Yeah. And then they're kind of but it, S&M-ing a little and, bit. And I get it. If some people are triggered by it, totally get it. But as I'm watching it, I'm not thinking the message is to sexualize a child. No. I actually got like this br- big brother, little sister vibe from it. Well, what I got from it was... What did I get from it? I mean, obviously, because the little girl is kind of the star of the video. Yeah. And I got it from it. Like, Sia is saying, this is me or something. Yeah. And and Shia is like this other spirit. Yeah. I, I, I thought of it as like... Two parts of the same. Yeah, f- like yeah. spirits that are interacting. I really liked it. I thought it was beautiful. I yeah. thought he was very uh, good in it and brave to be in it. I'm sorry there was controversy. Uh, wasn't there a controversy with Sia recently about her... 
recent movie. Yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. Let's uh, let's not. Even it was another. Yeah. It was another kid thing. I yeah, think. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Anyway, so then during same year during 2014 during a Broadway performance of Cabaret with Alan Cummings, I believe, and Michelle Williams. Mm. Uh, he was extremely drunk and smoking inside the theater, and he stood up and shouted at the actors, and he went up on stage during the show. Oh, he wasn't in the show. He was watching it. He was in the audience. What? Goes up shouting at the actors from the audience, gets up on stage, slaps Alan Cummings on the butt, and is like holding his butt on stage. He spent the night in jail. Oh my gosh. And he pled guilty disorderly conduct. Okay, that is narcissist. <laughs> Narcissism. Well, that's like a bigger <laughs> version of what you did. Yeah. No, absolutely. And um, actually, I've had a lot of fantasies. Uh, maybe not so much now, but I used to have fantasies where whenever I was in a big meeting or big room auditorium or at a concert or at a big uh, whatever, just in a big room with a lot of people, these fantasies of like... Man, I wish I could. I wish I was this powerful superhero, and I could go up on stage. And at first, everyone would be like, "Hey, you don't belong up there. Get out!" But then I would float up and be like, "You don't understand. There's an asteroid coming, and I'm the only one who can save you, or something along." There's very variants of this, <laughs> but it was always this. The theme was. I would go up and at first everyone would boo and be against me because I don't belong up there. But then you'd show but them. Then I would show them. So it's like that. He actually did it. Yeah. And then ended up in jail. Next <laughs> Imagine year, if I went up and I'm like, it's okay, there's an asteroid coming. I'm the only one that can save you. I can float. Oh, wait, I didn't float. Oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Get off the stage. Um, 2015, LaBeouf sets up a live stream of his heartbeat. Whoa, I didn't hear about this. Yeah. Then he did the filming. Um, okay. Or no, 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 wait. Uh, that's later. He filmed 30 minutes of seemingly improvisational acting in front of a green screen. You've seen that. Yes. Is that the one where he says, just do it? Yeah. Yeah. So the pod wife, Stacy, I showed her this uh, years later. Like, you know, it came out six years ago, but I showed her this to her like a couple years ago. And it's mesmerizing. It, it is. is it, 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 it's like... It, yeah, it's 30 minutes of him. There's certain, there's bits of it. And if you haven't seen it, you got to Google it. It's very motivational. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. I didn't, I don't know if I saw all 30 minutes. Maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't. But what I, the takeaway I saw, like, if he wanted a career as a motivational speaker, yeah, he's got it. Yeah, or like an evangelical preacher. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But yeah. it was a, it was like a Tony Robbins thing, you know? Right. Like on steroids, but still. <laughs> yeah, I still. It's one of the inside jokes with me and Stacy is, he he does this thing where, I I, I can't. I, I'm going to do it in person, but I'm going to describe it to you in podcast land. Is he's like just and he, he has his hands in front of his his body and he's just like he's so intense on trying to tell everyone to live your dreams yeah. and he puts his fingers in his palm of his hands and he's just like just and he, he doesn't know what to do with his hands he just just do it you know i don't yeah, know yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's so great because yeah. he's he's trying to say something like just grab all those things you want to do and put away your fears and then put it but he he doesn't put it together and then <laughs> yeah. he's just like ah, yeah just do it because it's so like improvisational but and then everyone memed it to death after that <laughs> um then he uh, he watched all of his movies in order and life. Yeah, that's the one I'm, I was thinking of. Yeah, yes. so he cried at times during yeah. the watching. He was arrested for public intoxication in Austin, Texas. 
And then he was he had an altercation with his then girlfriend, actress Mia Goth in Germany. It was caught on camera and he was probably drunk. And he said to strangers, if I had stayed over there with her, I would have killed her. Jeez, man. So now we're starting to get into, you know, now it's not just drunken, you know, antics where it's (sighs) bad. Now it's starting to look like abuse, which we'll get into in a second. 2016, he does hashtag take me anywhere. He tweeted his geographical coordinates daily and fans would find him, pick him up and take him anywhere. Talk about danger to self. Right. Wow. Right. And he has like stories about that. So because of the abuse he went through might be attracted to self-harm. And a random stranger showing up to potentially rape him. Yeah. And desperate to gain approval of people. Yeah. Um, he, 2017, he set up a camera at a museum. Do you remember this whole thing? Yeah, yeah. He will not divide us yeah. with Donald Trump. And, yeah. and then trolls online, you know, there's a whole, it's a, that's actually a pretty long story that I won't go into, but... Okay, so now let's get to the beginning of Honey Boy with yeah. he's in Savannah, Georgia, and he's super drunk. And he asks a cop for a cigarette. They, the cop said no, and then he gets into some kind of verbal or physical altercation with the cop and someone else. I've actually seen this video. I'm yeah, and it. he's uh, white, so he just ends up in jail. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, they try to arrest him. He runs off. There's a video of him uh, getting arrested. And he's swearing it's a racist rant. He's bragging about his millionaire lawyers. Like, I'm going to get off. I have millionaire lawyers. You can take me to jail. But I'm, yeah. And he's calling the cops bitches and whores multiple times. And he says at some point, you've got a president. So he's saying to one of the black yeah. uh, police officers, you've got a president who doesn't give a shit about you. And you're stuck in a police force that doesn't give a fuck about you. So... You want to arrest what? White people who give a fuck? So he's basically saying to this black cop, I'm on your side and you're going to arrest me, even though he's the one breaking the law. Well, well, I didn't know that he said racist stuff. Well, and then at one point he says, uh, you're going to hell, straight to hell, bro. You especially, Devin. And then they ask, why are you singling out Devin? And he says, because he's a black man. (gasps) Or did he mean it because... You're betraying your own people. Or yeah, that's what he's, I think, saying. So uh, it, that, that was the racist part of it. Um, it wasn't like he was using the N-word or, you know. Yeah, because he didn't strike me that way. But anyways, he was very drunk and saying crazy things. Yeah, he's arrested and charged with disorderly conduct, obstruction, and public drunkenness. He submitted a formal apology later on Twitter. He says, I am deeply ashamed of my behavior and make no excuse for it. I don't know if these statements are too frequent or or not shared enough, but I am certain that my actions warrant a very sincere apology to the arresting officers, and I am grateful for mm-hmm. their restraint. I am grateful for their restraint. Yeah, he gave an interview in some talk show where he said that he's actually kept in touch with the cop that okay. arrested him. He says, My outright disrespect for authority is problematic, to say the least, and completely destructive, to say the worst. It is a new low. A low, I hope, is a bottom. So now he's starting to talk in that AA language of like, maybe I've hit bottom. He was sued by one of the bartenders he interacted with that night for $5 million. 
Now, at this point, the court convicts him and gives him a chance. You either go to prison for seven years or you go to therapy. And he chose to go to therapy. And this is the basis of Honey Boy. Prison for seven years. Yeah. I mean, who knows if he would have been yeah. convicted, you know, sentenced to seven actual years. Yeah. But um, So he was ordered to attend a 10-week rehab program, which I find to be not long enough. Yeah. <laughs> which we'll get into later. But... So at this point, he's diagnosed with PTSD in the rehab program, and they depict this in the movie Honey Boy. Where By the way, like, how, how, does a, how does a person in the real world go to a 10-week ten, a ten rehab? Like, what do you mean? Like they can't afford it? Yeah, and they lose their job. and they you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it happens, though, because when, bo- when you hit bottom, you often lose your job. I and mean, some jobs will let you go. It'll say, okay, you know, we'll, we'll give you 10 weeks. And this is when he is... Uh, uh, given prolonged exposure therapy, which I'm often talking about. Yeah. Um, people, when they think of trauma therapy, they often think of cognitive processing or they think of uh, EMDR. And I'm always like, you know, there's this thing called prolonged exposure that is pretty effective. I don't use the strict protocol because I find it to be too rigid. I mean, I certainly can do the strict protocol of prolonged exposure. I, I use a um, an adaptive form of it. So that, what aspect about it was prolonged exposure? So what prolonged exposure is it, and all the forms of therapy EMDR and uh, cognitive processing are all based on the same principle which is that when you are traumatized in a certain way and your brain um, reacts to it in a, sp- a certain way you develop PTSD in that you have this traumatic memory that you avoid and mm-hmm. when it's triggered you have uh, all the f- feelings that you had during the incident so Got it. so you're having a fight or flight response when you're being abused you encode the memory. Something just barely reminds you of what happened. And then back you then. feel those things. You feel all the same feelings. And then you learn, I have to avoid any trigger. I have to avoid anything around that. And I have to kind of shut down my emotional system because mm. I can't cope with my emotions. Or you go the other direction. Well, um, which can happen when you're trying to cope is people will become very angry and very... Oh, sorry. What I meant is the, the prolonged exposure. Right. So with these various forms of therapy, the idea is habituation. You're yeah. trying to habituate the person to the memory because their their brain is not used to the memory, essentially. Right. And the way you become used to something is by having the body associate the memory with just sort of background information. Right. It, the The example that's often given is when you have a cat box in your house you don't smell the cat box anymore because you become nose yeah, blind to it. Right. But if you don't have a cat box you in your house in, and like, you walk <laughs> in, you instantly smell it. I have this with my shower right now because um, in October, the morning when I started having problems, uh, the first symptoms I felt were in the shower. Oh. And so to this day, every morning when I take a shower, I feel triggered. Mm. And so I keep telling myself, but you're okay right now. This is okay. Sure. Right, so... Over time, if you can manage to become used to that stimulus of being in the shower and and your body associates that with mundane life, right, right, right. then you will not be triggered the next time you get in the shower. Right. So the idea is, is that with uh, Shia LaBeouf, he goes into therapy, he was traumatized by a lot of violence and seeing violence. And so they at, what they ask you to do is they ask you to talk about what happened 
while monitoring your distress so that it doesn't go too high, mm. but but that it, you sustain it for you. It's prolonged for, right, right, for right. a long period of time. And the longer you hold it, because, you know, what happens is with trauma is you have these flashes of being reminded and you have this mm. spike in distress and then you run or you drink or you avoid right, or something. Right, right. And then the distress comes down. But uh, what that does is it you never habituate to the memory. It just right. it, and you compound the trauma by having yet another trauma yeah, yeah. that happened later on because you were you were reminded of the trauma <laughs> right. and you had a traumatic reaction to the trauma. To the trauma yeah. So you have to sustain the exposure, but not at a spike level, but at a you know a low hum, sure. if you will. And over time, the more, t- you know, you, you tell a traumatic story over and over and over and over again at a tolerable level, but at a little bit of distress. And eventually you can tell the story and there's no distress anymore. Yeah. There's no pain. Which is why I do the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and being in therapy sometimes has a prolonged exposure element to it, whether yeah. it's designed or not, because people will talk about things that happen to them. But anyway, so they depicted this in in the movie, and if it was just a 10-week rehab program, in my experience, people with his level of trauma, particularly because it was relational and Mm. complex, meaning that it was with – because sometimes, best-case scenario, you're traumatized by a stranger. Because Mm, at at this point, at least, you can say, well, I don't know that person. But if you're traumatized by your mom and your dad and the people around you, not only are you traumatized and you're in a fight-or-flight situation, but now you're also like, I can't – you know, because when you're scared, you want to run to your attachment figures. I but can't if your attachment, attachment, right, it complicates everything. And yeah, it also complicates the therapy because, the, as a therapist, you want to kind of become like a parental figure to your clients on a certain right, level. Right, right. But then they're afraid of their parental figures. Right. So, so he went <laughs> to so a ten-week rehab program, but he what he needed was ten years. Yeah, of course. But anyway, and I think he's been in and out of therapy, not just that one time, but that. I'm hoping it seems like writing that movie must have also been very therapeutic in right. a way. Yeah, and and playing his dad. Yeah, absolutely. It was like a yeah. which the genius and the interesting part to me about this Honey Boy movie is that he so so in rehab he starts writing this movie. He starts writing this script. Yeah, but it's directly related. Probably it was probably a directive from the therapist. Yeah, that's. I think he. I saw an interview with him, and that's what he said. It was an exercise, and then he took it really seriously. Right. And the exposure benefits of that for him, and also, you know, getting things yeah. off his chest and and being in the role of his father, too, which is interesting, yeah. the, in the role of the abuser, playing him in the movie. Yeah. You know, that it's got to be really interesting for his therapy. And it, playing with both sides of it, playing with his insecurities, playing with humanizing him. Right. and. Showing empathy for his condition, too. Which we'll get into later, but I'm not sure if it worked because it could have made him worse because if this wasn't in a controlled way, it could actually cause problems. I'm not quite sure. I don't know. But but um, interesting. Yeah. So then he says that uh, as a result of watching. Oh, I already been through that. Okay. So he started writing Honey Boy. And when he got home. Because he hadn't seen his dad in seven years, because seven years he, because he had a, you know a bad relationship. Yeah, with yeah. His dad. But upon writing this movie, he gets out of rehab and he called up his dad and met up with him for the first time. Yeah, and he recorded their meeting and it helped him in writing the script. Right. <laughs> Apparently, he had to lie to him and be like, 
Mel Gibson will play you. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I didn't know that. So after treatment, I think he again gets super drunk because I think he's not with, or at least he's not compliant with treatment. You know, he. It sounds like things got the ball rolling with yeah. prolonged exposure, but I, I, I imagine he either wasn't dedicated enough or had enough aftercare from treatment that. He's at a bowling alley and he's super drunk and a bartender refused to serve him French fries because he's like, you're too drunk. And there's a video, of course, of it because there's always people around. And he's shouting at the bartender. Security escorts him out. But he had to return to the bowling alley because why, Berto? Did he leave his cell phone? (laughs) He was wearing the bowling shoes. Oh, Oh, how embarrassing. So then 2019, Honey Boy comes out. And uh, how many Berto's out of 10? Oh, I loved it. Um, I'm going to give it a nine. Wow. Yeah. Really? And maybe it's because, you know, it touches a lot of nerves, whatever. Uh, I just found it... Th- there were a lot of layers to how why I found it so great. There were so many moments that I was admiring. Even before I knew that it was semi-autobiographical, I was just like, wow, this is such a good scene. And then, as I started realizing what was happening, I'm like, oh my gosh, he's playing his father. Yeah. Oh my God. You know, like it was just great. So it did so many good things for me. Now, on the one hand, I was thinking there are, there are some little parts about it where I thought, okay, I think the, the narrative structure, in other words, it's not very traditional in its narrative structure. Um, yeah, it doesn't really have a plot. Right. And that happened with Boyhood. And I loved Boyhood. Yeah. So in, this is one of those where I, I could see why someone might not love it or might but for me it just hit all those and and there were so many precious moments with the layers and the little boy did so well and um yeah the little yeah. boy was amazing so um noah jupe is his name i um i would have given the first half hour an eight or a nine the last half of the movie i'd give like a six i thought it was good cer- certainly serviceable but I just kind of lost interest. It, it felt like it dragged. But, but the first half hour, anytime him and you know the father and son were interacting, yeah, I was gripped. You yeah. know, it was well acted, well written, well directed. But particularly because I'm like, this is him telling us what it was like for him. Because yeah. a lot of the aspects, you're like, this is kind of fantastical. This dad yeah. is a piece of work, but yeah. he's so specifically a piece of work. Yeah. That it was probably accurate. Yeah. Well, I, I guess what I wonder if this happened to you. The scenes that took place in the present, like with the with him as an adult, right? I was a lot less engaged by those, right? Um, still, though, I think for me, and and I will just fully admit, I think because it felt so relatable and so maybe re-traumatizing or whatever, but it, it just felt that that's that has a lot of it going for it for me i i actually had the same thing with boyhood that boyhood there's so many aspects about that movie where i was like oh my gosh i could relate to that moment and that moment and that moment so because of that i definitely bump it up no question i am giving it a barreto bump that is a little unusual <laughs> I, know, I think i mean yeah <laughs> all right 2020 last year interview he says i'm a buffoon my public out, outbursts are failures they are not strategic they're a struggling motherfucker showing his ass in front of the world. I think that's in response to some people thinking, like, is this some sort of evil genius? <laughs> like, all of yeah. his antics, is yeah. it some kind of manipulation? And he's like, no, no, no. These are failures. I'm a buffoon. Right. 
it has nothing to do with strategery. Yeah, like uh, I was giving the example before of Joaquin Phoenix, who method acted in public. Yeah. And and almost not in public for like a year yeah. about getting into rap. Yeah. And everyone thought he was actually having a breakdown and he's like, okay, this he we're gonna find out he does something really bad here soon. And then he comes out with a movie and the movie's actually really entertaining. I'm like, what? That clapo. Clapo clapo. Yeah. Um there's something very deliberate about that. Right. Um uh, he last year became involved in a physical altercation with a man. He stole his hat and ran away, and he was charged with battery and petty theft. That's interesting. And now let's get into the domestic violence, um, intimate partner violence stuff. This, so up until this point, I'm like, well, okay, he's a, he's, he has a problem with alcohol, and he would talk about it openly in yeah. interviews, like on Jimmy Kimmel. He's like, yeah, I had a kind of, and as a problem is it would be made into a joke, kind of like what you're saying earlier. Yeah. He'd be talking about how he'd be ranting and raving and the audience would laugh. Yeah. And Jimmy Kimmel will die. Because that is our, our, that's our culture, really. It's alcohol is funny. Yeah. Being, being drunk is funny. There's yeah. whole movies about it. There's whole characters about it. Right. Ha 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 ha. Hangover. I, I was so poisoned in my brain that I couldn't think straight and I was harming other people and I had to be detained by the police. Ha ha ha. Think of that. The, there's the hangover franchise. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, so uh, FKA Twigs is a artist that he was involved with. She filed a lawsuit against him for sexual battery and assault. And the lawsuit says that, um, oh, so she was the black girl in Honey Boy. No way. Yeah. Oh. So in the movie, if you haven't seen... What? The, there's this... Oh. She looks like she's maybe 18-ish or something. Yeah. And she befriends little Otis, which yeah. is supposed to be little Shia, who's supposed to be like, you know, prepubescent. And they have like a sexual relationship yeah. or something. Which I was wondering, did Shia get raped by an older woman when he was a kid? That seems to be the implication. And... The actress that played the girl who rapes this young boy is ends up uh, becoming in a relationship with Shia LaBeouf. Okay, controversial statement. Um, is there no other word sexually abused? Sexually abused? Yeah, I just... Like, I find something so weird about using the same word... For such a wide range of things. That's fine. I mean, you'll get a lot of arguments. From I, know, other people. I know, but, I know, but, I know, I uh, know. Whatever word we use, it needs to be clear yeah. that no 12-year-old boy can yeah. consent to Oh, no, absolutely. It's absolutely sexually abused. It's just, okay, and then even within there, though, there is the complexities of, like, that girl was obviously abused. She was obviously, da 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 She's way younger than her years. Meant, uh, anyways, et cetera. But... Uh, whatever the case may be, I thought the same thing. I was like, yeah, this might have happened to him. Yeah, and, and actually, the way it was depicted, it was almost depicted apologetically. Yeah. Uh, like it, it, So I don't know what his stance was on yeah. that, how that happened. Anyway, um, so they had a one-year relationship. That, oh, and sorry, parentheses. I remember being 13, 12, whatever. At the time... I would know. I would know better now. But at the time, having sex with an eighteen-year-old attractive female, I would have perceived that to be the biggest score in human history. 
Yeah, I mean, it's complicated. In fact, I, sorry, I know it is, but I had a friend who literally had that happen to him. He was, I think he was 13, and he had, they had, um, uh, he was visiting relatives in the coast, and they, there was a, a maid who was like 18, and they had sex. Yeah. And we, at my age, we were like, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, let's just not go down that road. But 99.9% of the time, it's going to cause damage. Oh, absolutely. No, of course. I'm not debating that. I'm saying that if this actually happened to him, he probably at the time, like like me, when I was five, I didn't think I was being abused. Right. No, Later no. Later on, I, I learned, I was like, oh. Do, do I believe that Shia LaBeouf, even today, oh. might, without a lot of therapy, still think that that was yeah. a nice thing? Because yeah. the, the, the way it's depicted, if it happened in real life, is that... She listened to him and yeah. w- was nice to him. Exactly. But she was also sexually abusive to him. Yeah. And, and I mean, yeah. the other thing is, is it's not, it's unclear. She might have been 16. Like, we don't really know, don't know. how don't old know. that character and, was. But still, 16 to 12 is a big difference. Yeah. It's just that kids don't know, you know, they just don't. Right. So, at least not back then. The actress, she said in a lawsuit that uh, he abused her a lot, but there's this one incident where he was driving recklessly. He was upset at her, and he removed his seatbelt and threatened to crash the car unless she professed her love for him. So, so wait. So, is the role in the movie after all this? No, this is this. The they met, I believe, on that set. Yeah. Oh, I see. So he's upset at her, saying, "You, you got to profess oh. your love for me." I'm, and he's driving recklessly, and he threatened to crash the car. Took off his seatbelt. So essentially, saying, "I'm going to kill us both." If, oh, she said he did things like this often. Once he uh, woke her up in the middle of the night while he was choking her. Oh, God. He beat her and she tried to get away from him another time. He would become jealous if she acknowledged male waiters. And he would force her to avert her gaze when talking to men. And he would impose quotas on how frequently she had to kiss and touch him each day. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. Yes. This is... um. Oh, he was definitely, something happened to him. On top of everything else, something happened to him. But this is not just antics, you know? He would insist she sleep naked, and he kept a loaded gun by his bedside as sort of implied that he would use it against her. He stripped away her self-esteem and self-efficacy, she said. She says, quote, he brought me so low below myself that the idea of leaving him and having to work myself back up just didn't seem possible. I'm getting Marilyn Manson flashbacks. I know, right? She alleges that he knowingly infected her with an STD. Okay. He shot stray dogs. She says that he shot stray dogs with a gun to get into the character for this film, The Tax Collector. Oh, my God. Um, so just think about that one. Yeah. Uh, Sia came forward and says oh, I, I didn't know any of this <laughs> right it's sort of like how come I didn't wow. know about that how come he's not how come he hasn't been me too'd um, Sia says I too have been hurt emotionally by Shia a pathological liar what who conned me into an adulterous relationship claiming to be single so apparently no he was way. he was with someone else and claimed he wasn't uh. Uh, songwriter Katie Rose says when she was 14 year old, 14 years old, that he quote groped me violently at a party in the Hollywood Hills. Uh, Carolyn Foe allegedly said that he headbutted her and uh, made her bleed from that. Uh, Shia said in response to this, 
I'm not in any position to tell anyone how my behavior made them feel. I have no excuses for my alcoholism or aggression, only rationalizations. I have been abusive to myself and everyone around me. I have a history of hurting the people closest to me. I'm ashamed of that history and am sorry to those I hurt. There is nothing else I can really say. That's as close as what anyone in that situation can and should say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and given who he is, I kind of trust that he's being sincere with it because he's just so honest in other situations. Well, I mean, there's, yeah, and, and there's nothing to be, I mean, he's literally saying, I've abused myself and everyone around me, and especially those closest to me. Yeah. He's literally saying that that's what he's done. Right. So this crosses the line for me of like, yeah, certainly. you know, there's one thing if you're Woody Allen and you're making Manhattan. There's another thing if you're sexually abusing your own children in real life. You know, it's one thing if you're Shia LaBeouf yeah. and you're, you know, uh, you're method acting uh, and you have some drunken antics in a Walgreens. It's another thing if you're systematically abusing every woman you come into contact with and breaking them down. Um, that's um, that's something else. What what would we do as a society? Imagine we had a magic wand, where no matter what someone had done, if we waved this magic wand, they would be permanently and a hundred percent absolutely cured of it. Meaning they if they were they would never rape again, abuse again, they would never murder again, whatever it was, ever. It's guaranteed. It's magic. Now they, what they did, they did, of course. They can't, you can't undo that. We don't have that magic. Um, so imagine that you could do that. And then, of course, that they would apologize and whatever it is. What would we do? Uh, like, the, the sense of putting them in jail now is not about protecting society because the magic stops that. So the, the jail would like, be just punitive. Yeah, so you're commenting, I think, directly or indirectly on cancel culture a little bit. I'm sort of wondering... Uh, yeah, I mean, like, at what point can you recover? Yeah. And it's, it's an interesting question, and I don't know if I've ever thought about it until you put it that way, because it's an interesting thought experiment, um, because, of course, we don't have that magic wand. And I think that's, uh, for me anyway, I'll just say for me, that if w what we're seeing here now is a pattern, and he obviously isn't getting the help he needs to get, right? <laughs> which involves sobriety yeah which isn't easy but people try yeah and he doesn't seem to be trying hard enough or going to therapy with enough with enough people he's not at that point yet yeah, yeah, or yeah. something which i can understand but if you're continually abusing human beings around you to and the point and with, of physical violence and death threats and stuff. i mean that, yeah we've crossed Ter many lines terrorizing yeah, yeah marilyn manson kind of stuff yeah. You're terrorizing people, and and that's uh, ab abhorrent. But you don't seem to be stopping. Yeah, this is going to continue to happen, Shia, <laughs> until major changes happen in how you approach, how powerless you are over your addiction and your behavior. And until okay. that happens, uh, you know you're a criminal on the loose. Who's yeah. continuing to commit crimes, and that's not okay with me. Yeah. And if, say, he did do all the things he needed to do, and he did recover, you know, it's normal to have some relapses or some emotional issues, maybe a little bit of 
verbal abuse every now and then to whoever he's in a part in a partnership with. But you know, it's 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 all under control for the most part. Then you know, five ten years later, uh, as a artist that I would pay money to consume his art, I right. would be okay with that. Yeah. But but in the but right now we're yeah. not seeing any. I mean, he he apologizes. He's I, I think he genuinely is ashamed of what he's done. But he does. He's he's not changing. He's not doing what he needs to do. Yeah. No. No question. I mean, look. This it's so sad because um, obviously. I had this hope naively, as I said, I didn't know the movie was about him. As I watched the movie and I realized it was about him, then I realized, oh, wait a minute, has he exercised his demons? And I had this naive hope that, oh my gosh, how an, what an amazing story. Right. Out of this maelstrom yeah. comes this like very artistic second chapter, you know, second act in his career. And that's going to be amazing. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I thought the same I'm thing. Excited. I thought, oh... He's turned a corner. This is great. And then when I started looking after the movie, oh, I looked more man. into what's happened in the past couple of years. And I'm like, oh, it's possible that he got worse because of that. That happens sometimes. I don't know. But that will happen sometimes that when you go halfway in to prolonged exposure or any kind of trauma mm. therapy and you don't go the full mile, Oof. you actually will make it worse. Oof. Because you unearth all those demons and you haven't and resolved still them. still unearthed. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now, following the success of Honey Boy, Marvel was thinking about giving him a superhero role, which would have been pretty interesting given his you know, acting style, but Marvel has pulled out of that deal. Yeah. He landed a coveted role in the upcoming thriller Don't Worry Darling, which was Olivia Wilde's um, you know, follow-up to Booksmart. Oh. Uh, but then in September, he was replaced by Harry Styles, which is a bummer because Harry Styles is no Shia LaBeouf. Who's Harry Styles again? He was in um, that British boy band, uh, One Direction. Oh, okay. That's why I don't know him. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I mean, he's, you know, he, he was in, he had a minor role in Dunkirk. Oh. He was one, Oh, okay. He would have been one I of the- I think I know what he looks like. One now. of the soldiers. Yeah. Um, but reportedly- Due to his onset behavior, and possibly because of the report by FKA Twigs, he, mm. you know, was was so. It looks like he might be getting some comeuppance in the industry. So here's my conceptualization, Berto. Trauma throughout his childhood, attachment issues, nervous system issues, almost constant fight or flight, freeze, defeat, you know, appease, faint, you know, constant adrenaline, distress, lack of trust in other people. He's very needy of love and attachment, but not getting any of his attachment needs. He's watching his parents fight all the time. He has PTSD from violent trauma and from relational trauma. And at first, he tries to please others. He tries to please his parents. And this is depicted in Honey Boy. He's a very good boy. Yep. He's very um, accommodating to both of his crazy parents. And he is accommodating to filmmakers. He's accommodating to the public. And he, you know, acts well and he wants to be, he wants to do a good job. He's trying yeah. to do a good job by everyone. And this gives him some temporary relief. Some. Was some, that preoccupied? Right. Exactly. And some. Yeah, I got it right. Right. <laughs> and when he was drunk and saying, I'm going to crash the car, that's also a preoccupied kind of move. Um, not all preoccupied. Hashtag not all preoccupied. So 
he gets some temporary relief, but not really, right? He's got all that tension inside of him, all that distress, but you know, he's he's learning like, well, if I if I'm wonderful on stage, if people look at me and they approve of me, then I at least get some of my attachment needs met. So I need to stay in the limelight. As an adult, he learns that drinking actually helps him to feel okay, numbs the pain. It works, but sometimes he would drink too much. And I think that that's what he he had a very I think the antics we would see were the accidental overdoses because that happens on alcohol. Like usually when people drink, they want a good buzz or they want a good numb feeling. They want a relaxation. They don't want to become so hammered. They don't remember anything the next day. You know, that's not the goal, at least when you're not, you know, in college or something. And so I'm guessing that occasionally he would accidentally drink too much, which of course happens. Um, The ability to know if you're too drunk or not gets turned off when you are too drunk. (laughs) Then the, ang- then the anger would come out because your prefrontal cortex shuts down and the desperation would come out, you know, um, and it would emerge in these public arenas and he would be seen on camera. It was more and more. He has more shame, compounds the trauma, more pain, more anger, more of the self-loathing, more of the desperation to just get through the day and, uh, you know, more efforts to try to avoid himself in method acting, in slicing his own face. You know, it's interesting that in order to be method in Fury, he slices his face open yeah. and and breaks one of his teeth. You know, there are other ways to method act other than to self-abuse, right? Doesn't he understand in that moment that the next role will have a scar and a broken tooth? <laughs> yeah. So how can he method act that? Yeah. Um, he, someone should give him a role of someone that goes to therapy for 10 years and is good to themselves yeah. <laughs> and doesn't drink. And then you could method act that. But anyway, um, and probably uh, many commitments along the way to change. I'm guessing that throughout you know his adult life, there were many moments where he's just like, I need to figure something out. This is yeah. not working out for me. But no proper treatment. A lot of rock bottoms, so to speak. Yeah, no proper treatment or his authority issues, you know, getting in the way is, you know, the complex trauma getting in the way of his ability to... Um, you know, there's that one scene in Honey Boy where the therapist is like, are you lying to me right now? Are you are you acting right now? Yeah. He, she says, and he says, yes and no. Yes and no, yeah. And I thought that was so brilliant because it was played that way. I'm like, yeah. well, I bet you he is kind of acting right now, but I also think he's probably being honest right yeah. now. It was a weird, uh, you know, place for, for him. He's forced into treatment. Because he goes in and he says, doesn't he say, thank you. For because this yeah. is the scream therapy, right? Thank you for that. That has really opened me up to blah blah whatever. Right? It's just like, are you acting? He's like, um, yes, yes and, and no. no. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's forced into treatment and he begins the process, but it's a ten week process and there's no proper follow up. Is my speculation, and or he wasn't really ready to continue the work. He's not ready for sobriety or yeah. something, and he escalates. His shame gets worse. His alcoholism gets worse. His when he's drunk, his prefrontal cortex turns off more. More of his demons are coming up. He's desperately trying to get his attachment needs met. And the kinds of things I'm hearing are pretty classic abusive behavior from a person who is desperately trying to get their attachment needs met. You know, because like you, you're with your girlfriend and you're getting on each other's nerves and you have this thought of I'm being rejected right now she doesn't like me is she going to leave me 
And if you drink a bit to cope with that, your prefrontal cortex becomes a little foggy and you're like, well, you know, and you, you do a little gesture of like, hey, hey, we're we're in love, right? You know, we're together. I, I'm I'm safe mm-hmm. with you, right? And, you know, FK Twigs is like, um, I don't know. And then it triggers you more and then you drink more and then you lose control more. And then you're and by the end of it, you're, you know, careening down a road saying I'm going to crash the car. Yeah doesn't justify it but i've seen this happen a lot man i just think back to that when i was like 19 and uh how i didn't know i had these things in me and i had had these these relationships with uh girls that where really the <laughs> i'll call it the problem was on their side of the fence not on my side of the fence uh where it's like oh geez this person's got issues uh, but then, so I was unaware and then I enter into a relationship where I'm so preoccupied and I'm so like p- possessive and controlling. And I hadn't seen that coming at all because it, I hadn't done or been that way in any previous relationship, you know? Right. But I think it was because in the previous relationships, well, there hadn't been that many, uh, the, I had sought out people with problems and their problems were so dominating that it didn't give me a chance to become a problem myself Mm. and then when i finally like started going out with someone that actually has problems but maybe not as severe but then i'm like oh hey it's my chance to shine (laughs) yeah it's so weird yeah right yeah so i think that this is a very common story that i've seen a lot clinically his story the one that i'm conceptualizing i don't know if it's true we'd have to know from him but uh, I've seen this a lot, but they just aren't famous people. Yeah. What the difference is, is Shia LaBeouf is super famous. And so we get to see blips along the way. Yeah. But this story is very common. The relational traumas, the pain, the distress, the PTSD, the drug addiction, the chaos, the relationship problems, the unfair behavior, the desperation uh-huh. that leads to unfair behavior and violence and you know verbal abuse and control of other people the um, occasional dips into therapy and not being ready for um, the full Monty of therapy and um, struggling with self-hatred and and just trying to survive one day at a time while trying to preserve at least some level of integrity or self-esteem. It's a very, very common story, but one we just don't normally see so public. That's interesting you say that. Actually, I'm realizing one thing, which is um, when it comes to... So imagine someone that works a normal day-to-day job. You know, Maybe they work in construction. So you, you, there's someone you see out on the road holding a flag or hammering something, whatever. And they have had abuse problems. They've been abusive. But they've been to therapy. But they had some bad problems. So like, it's someone who... If they had painted a work of art, you would now be questioning whether you would buy that work of art. Uh, but when you drive by, first of all, you have no idea what their background is. So you don't care that they're maintaining your road. But even if you did, what would you do? Would you say, you're no longer allowed to maintain this road because of your past? Mm. It's such a weird, interesting thing. Now, obviously, there's cases where if they're still offending, well, they belong somewhere where they can't in therapy in jail and what something right and obviously if someone there's a victim in the equation they definitely need to be protecting this but i'm thinking more about the like how this weird 
difference we have with famous people and the average well, people of the world. Well, let's get. I think part of it is we have this idea that famous people are so elevated by their rich and fame, their riches and fame, that, and we participate in that by sending money their way. That we don't want to participate in that. The construction person. I guess we're indirectly sending money to them by maybe buying whatever condo that they're building. But we don't look at that person and say they're better than – maybe that's part of it is like, well, this would be an interesting psychological experiment actually where you could ask people a bunch of questions. And if – I wonder if it's based on how we see ourselves in relation to that person. If they're below us, if we we think of them as being below us, then – we wouldn't cancel them. But if we see them being above us, then we we might get some schadenfreude and some motivation to try to tear them down. Yeah, like what if it were not someone that you're, because you're right, like, oh, well, I pay taxes, but fine. It's a store owner, a local store owner. They're not a millionaire. They just own a little mom and pop shop. They, yeah. You go there, you just buy little things. And then you find out that they had a past. Now, see, first point is you wouldn't find that out. Yeah. That's the first point, because they're not on the tabloids. Well, let's say you did, but if but you how did, far how far in the past? So I mean, I mean, both points and are they are still are they still me. doing it? Because part of the thing is we're not looking into it. Yeah, the reason we're not looking into it because they're not famous. Right. Now, if we were looking into it, then the next question is: Okay, should we not buy from their store now? Right. Now we clearly do it in some cases when it's like, well, they don't sell to gay couples. Okay, then it gets on Twitter, and then well, we don't, uh, you more know. Uh, more analogous uh, for my th- thinking is. If he was currently, if there was evidence or indication that he was currently abusive to his wife. Absolutely, right? Then you'd be like, well, I can't. I, first of all, I, I hope something gets happened. Maybe I can report it. What do I do? And I'm definitely not going to go to buy stuff from him. Right, I wouldn't. Absolutely. But, so, if, but if it was 10 years ago. And more importantly, if they've done something, like they did the therapy, they've recovered. Now what? Then I would go to the store. Right? So then what happens with the artist? After yeah. they've recovered and they've done the work. Well, the problem is with a lot of the the cancellations that we've seen. You know, the Kevin Spaceys and the Harvey Weinstein's, and they these, don't recover. They, they don't, don't recover. Yeah. They they they've got worse over time. In fact, time. they argue that they're innocent. Right. Yeah. So fair enough. So we don't really have a good example we don't have examples of people who reformed before they were discovered. You know, because yeah. a lot of these guys will reform after yeah, they'll, yeah, they'll yeah. say they reformed, but we don't have a really good. I mean. Maybe the best example is Liam Neeson, and he wasn't exactly right. Canceled, Actually, canceled. I remember that, but I remember that he said he would walk around with a stick, yeah. looking to beat up um, brown people. Brown people, yeah. And he was so ashamed of it. Yeah, he was really. And ashamed then he of it. he nearly got canceled for saying that story. Right. And and it was like, well, and and I really felt strongly about this. No, 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 no. He's the good one. You have to let people tell their stories right. of how they were. Like when I tell my stories, yeah, about how horror. Like you know, I just today I told a couple of horrible stories. Um, I honestly, okay, sure, there is a part of it that that is self therapy for me, but I'm honestly doing it because, like, my my motto has become like, let, let me let me fuck up so you don't have to. You know, like I'll make the mistakes so you don't have to. <laughs> but th- the point is that I'm not telling you this. Uh, because I'm still like this or I still want to be like this. No, I'm like, wow, this is what can happen to someone yeah. when they have abuse, when they have things. And, the, yeah. and that was what Liam Neeson was trying to do. And I think, um, I think for Liam Neeson, though, 
because I I've watched the whole interview like a couple times. He didn't come out strong enough. The no, way it, it came out, it came out at like half baked. You it know, could be. yeah. But at the same time, he was absolutely looking back on yeah. something and saying it was horrific that he did it. And it took a lot of courage for him to do that because he he must have known that there could be backlash. I don't know. I, I don't know what he thought. I, I, I and could... I guess that's where that's where I feel. If if we want to make more progress, we need to. Even though it's painful and annoying and weird, we almost need to loud like applaud those things. Yeah. More to say, you know well, what? Well, there's a there's a there's a version of applause. Yeah. There's you know like Mr. Ro- Mr. <laughs> Rogers, we can applaud. Like we can stand up and applaud, okay? Yeah. The uh, Liam Neeson, we can say, well, that's horrific, Liam, and I agree with you. You but did, thank you for being a role, uh, um, I'll, I'll apl- an example. I'll applaud your your change and your self awareness, yes. but what you did, Liam, was Terrible. awful. And but I applaud you. You know, that's the version of applause. Yeah. And and yeah, with. You know, we've been asked to talk about cancel culture in the past, and I don't think I... And in the past, I was like, well, you know, if someone does something stupid, they deserve to be canceled, (laughs) which I still believe. But I don't think I fully appreciated just how toxic the internet has become. Yeah. Uh, You know, as, as I've become a little bit more famous over the past year or two, I've started to you know experience like moments of that yeah um probably not moments that people know about listening right now because there's just little moments that happen here and there on youtube or something um like i'll tell one moment i was reacting to one of the videos i don't know a year ago or something and i misspoke and i remember knowing i misspoke in the moment but you know when i'm reacting i'm saying all sorts of stuff like i'm I have to think off the top of my head. I don't have notes in front of me. I never think about what I'm going to say. I just I just start yammering, you know? Yeah. And I said something, and I tripped over my words, and essentially what I said was that, I essentially said something to the effect of there's a degree of sexual trauma and there's a threshold upon which you legitimately have PTSD, and below that threshold, you don't have PTSD, or something like that, mm-hmm. which I don't believe. <laughs> yeah. I, I do. Uh, I, I early on, way before anyone, well, way before the DS, and the DSM still isn't sufficient, but way long ago, I discovered in my travels with clients that anything can trauma someone. Like you yeah. don't know. You don't traumatize someone. You don't know what's going to traumatize. Right. Like you have this idea of like, oh, it has to be this. It has to be that. No, like you, someone can be traumatized by going to the doctor for a checkup because of the way the body just perceives the situation. Right. Like you just don't know how, what trauma is going to look like and how it's going to come at you. It's particularly, anyway. So I don't believe that, but somehow it came out of my face that way and and I didn't catch it as I was saying. Because, you know, when you say yeah. literally thousands and upon thousands yep. of words, occasionally <laughs> you're going to say a sentence that doesn't make any sense. Right. And um, people went berserk, but I didn't know it, Berto, until three weeks ago. Right. Someone sent me this thing saying like, and it makes me sweat just thinking about it. 
um, God, what was it? Someone said, I don't know if I, have I talked about this in the podcast? I don't know if you've talked, I think you told me, but you, you didn't, I don't think you mentioned it. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't want to go into the whole story because I actually thought about saying this whole story. Any, long story short, there were hundreds of people on Reddit, I don't know, hundreds, yeah. dozens, who hated me yeah. and f- were con- completely, a thousand percent convinced that I was promoting the idea right. that you do not have legitimate traumas for your PTSD. Right, uh, that right, they right. thought that I... I believed that and that and they didn't give me the benefit of that they didn't look into my track record they didn't look into the thousands of other times I've said otherwise and they just took this one kind of and it was a flub it was obviously a flub of a sentence I didn't come out and say let me declare it was like you know and it was this weird sentence and it wasn't even clear what I meant by it they were interpreting it a certain way and it was a mistake for sure and a stupid thing to say. I'm not yeah. I'm not saying it wasn't, but um anyone that knows me would have known, oh, he didn't mean to he said that, but he didn't he doesn't mean that cuz he said anyway. And um so I got a little glimpse of that of yeah. like what if this had been worse? How the tide can turn. Yes. And and what if the tide had what if some famous person took up that tide? Yeah. I'd I'd be over. Yeah. Or if YouTube saw it and said, "Let's Sorry, let, take no his channel. channel away," or so, you know, like, and I realize now what some people were asking me a few years ago when they're like, "Kirk, what do you think of cancel culture? Do you think it's right. out of control?" I, and back then, I'm like, "No, nah, it's fine." And yeah, now, you and I had a little debate about it, but because I, I, I remember, and I remember where you were coming from, which was, I th- I still think a good sentiment, which is like, we needed some of that movement. Yeah. Yeah, the big the biggies, the Harvey Weinstein's, the Bill Cosby's, yeah. you know, uh these are people that need to be canceled. But yeah. uh I think along the way we're also getting this other element and with Shia LaBeouf for example, sounds like he's still an active offender. Yeah, and I think by my morals he is worthy of cancellation. Is he worthy of being decanceled if he proves himself for a number of years? And we hear from his partners that he's a nice enough guy because yeah. that's, I think, the kicker is like, right, right. I need a I need a public report <laughs> from one of his girlfriends that he has turned a new leaf. It, still, though, and I, I agree with I do really agree with you. It's just I find it fascinating because we'll never get those public reports about not famous people and we'll still do business and transact with them all the time. But if we did, we wouldn't. Right, right. But what am we, I supposed to do? Go to the Safeway and ask the but owner? We don't. The but we can't. We don't. Well, we can't. Right, but that the life goes on. <laughs> it's so it's kind of weird. It's like we we've allocated this special role for celebrities both ways, and I I think it's just that it, I'm not even saying it's right or wrong. It's the nature of the beast. I see. With great power, it's just kind of interesting. Great responsibility. It's yes. just kind of kind that, of that. Not only will you be given unmeasurable wealth and notoriety. If you screw up, nowadays especially, the microscope will be on. And in some cases, it's totally deserved. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I will also note that some people are protected from cancellation because of their privilege, either they're white or whatever. So, and for the longest time, celebrities were in fact protected. Right. Yeah. Right, which is another irony. It's like... 
they're being canceled now and maybe over canceled in some situations, but for so long. And I think still to some extent they're protected because of the fact that like it took so much for a celebrity to used to be, you know, really taken down or something. Yeah. Literally decades (laughs) of reports that, you know, reach a critical mass. Yeah. Anyway, final word on Shia LaBeouf, Berto. Can you relate to him? I can definitely relate to him. I, I feel a sense of sadness, of course, for his victims, um, like his, the people around him, especially uh, her. And I also feel sadness for him. I, I was really looking at this and, and I felt excited. I felt excited for his story. I was like, wow, you're going to come out of this stronger than ever. And I can't wait to see what you do. And I guess I'm still hoping, but but he's going to have to then... Really do a lot of work, apologize, make make amends, and never and and stop offending and stop hurting right, and right, stop. Right. What what I uh, would hope for him, I think, given my loose speculation about his situation, is he needs years of of uh, team based therapy, yeah. uh, sobriety, and prolonged exposure, some sort of trauma therapy. He probably also would benefit by taking a break from acting for five years. Yeah. Because the stress of that and the traveling always interferes with sobriety and therapy, um, and 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 really dedicating himself, he needs to be sober. Bottom line, there's just I cannot see a world in which he can drink and no. function. And he also needs with his ther- maybe another therapist to work on his attachment issues, and. Then he needs to venture into a relationship because he's probably never had a functional relationship in his life, and we yeah. and we know that if you've never had that, it's hard to build one. So he needs to be through a number of therapy, a number of years of therapy, as he navigates attachments in a healthy way, and then he can start entering into the limelight again and do whatever he wants, maybe artsy stuff, whatever. And then there needs to be a honest public report from his partner Mm. (laughs) that, you know, he, he messes up, but he's doing really good. I know he did some terrible things to previous women, but you know, he seems like he's really trying. He's been sober and, uh, and then he can, you know, he could have a wonderful career after that. And then we'll enjoy his movies or he can continue to drink (sighs) and spiral downward. And God knows what will happen to him. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Everyone out there, please take care of yourself because you deserve it.